Coming up in this episode. North Korea is building a nuclear and missile capability in the in the short term. We're talking about a few years here will become an existential nuclear threat to the United States. That's the former mission manager for the US on North Korea with some stark words about what lies ahead and a former Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff says the time has come to focus. On the urgency with which this is required to be addressed and the likelihood in the very near future that that he's going to have this capability and he won't go through a test phase. That's coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. There's something about TrueCar a lot of people don't know. Using TrueCar can also help you buy a used car. In fact, there are more than 500,000 pre-owned vehicles available from TrueCar certified dealers nationwide. Whether you're looking to buy new or used, you can get upfront pricing information that empowers, discounts off the list price for used cars, and a better buying experience through the TrueCar certified dealer network. You'll see what other people paid for the car you want, so you can know what a fair price is and feel confident. With TrueCar, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. Using the TrueCar website or the TrueCar app, you can easily find the new or used car you want. TrueCar users save an average of $3,279 off MSRP. More than 2 million cars have been sold to TrueCar users by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network. There are more than 11,000 TrueCar Certified Dealers nationwide. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar.com or download the TrueCar app to enjoy a better car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. San Bernardino. An act of terrorism. Paris. An attack on all of humanity. The Islamic State. I'm back, Obama. They want you to imagine them in the shadows. Hostile nation states. Can inflict mortal damage to the United States. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Good morning, everyone. On September 17th, the Council on Foreign Relations published a report about a grave, growing, global threat, the North Korean Missile Program. At a live presentation of the report, the threat which we've covered before here on Target USA, was described in no uncertain terms by former Georgia Senator Sam Nunn, now head of the Nuclear Threat Initiative. He bluntly critiqued the U.S. strategy for separating North Korea from its nuclear weapons program. Well, I recall Winston Churchill once said that no matter how beautiful the strategy, occasionally you have to look at the result. And looking at the result, we face a grave and I think increasing danger. And when I say we, I mean Japan, I mean South Korea, I mean American personnel in Korea as well as that that region of the world. And I yes, I mean China also because China's a very important part of that region. So how does it differ? The, The first thing I would say is we had a couple of members of our task force who were 
very helpful, Gary Seymour in particular and Bob Einhorn, in helping clarify exactly what the U.S. policy is right now. I think we should say up front that we have deterred major war, and that's an accomplishment. That's something that has been done. Uh, what we haven't done is change the North Korean calculus to continue to defy not the United States, but the United Nations. Uh, they are defying the United Nations Security Council resolution, both on their nuclear programs and on their missile programs, and that intensifies. So what has changed? I think the main thing I would emphasize here, we have four major steps. These steps have to be taken in parallel. This is not sequential. We can't wait until the sanctions go completely work and then basically go to talks. We've got to try to get talks going now. We've got to increase the benefits to North Korea if they basically sit down and talk and in a sincere way move towards getting rid of their nuclear weapons, stopping their missile tests and so forth. We've got to also talk to China in a very frank way. It's in China's interest and in our interest. We need to take into account China's interest because China has got to be a part of this. Without China, it's going to be very difficult to solve this peacefully. The UN has ordered North Korea to stop its nuclear weapons and its missile development programs and has adopted a number of resolutions, the latest of which is Resolution 2270, which says that all states should inspect cargo within or transiting through their territory, including airports, seaports, and free trade zones that was destined for or originating from the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. And as Nunn pointed out, even Russia and China, both members of the UN Security Council, voted for the resolution. We've got to enforce the UN Resolution 2270, which is a powerful new resolution. The Obama administration should get credit for pushing this and getting it through the UN Security Council. should be noted that China and Russia both voted for it. And it gives the mandate, not just the right, of all nations to inspect cargo coming in and out, ports, airports, ships, so forth. That's an enormously important tool if it's implemented. China's got to be part of that. But we're recommending that we have a multinational effort led by the United States to equip our allies and friends throughout the region to do their part to enforce the UN resolution. That could make a big difference. And the fourth thing I would point out is the need to increase deterrence and defense while we're doing all of this other. Mike can speak to that, but there are a number of steps that we're recommending here that uh, our Defense Department undertake with South Korea and with Japan. So all of these things have to move together. It's not one uh, or the other, it's all. On more than one occasion, North Korean representatives to the UN have demonstrated their disdain for the body and all that it stands for, specifically its attempts to get North Korea to shut down its nuclear program, and another issue, human rights. On April 30th, 2015, an ugly showdown took place as a brave North Korean defector talked his way through his experience, but was repeatedly interrupted. Sometimes we forget that North Korea is not just a country failed in a dictatorship, but that they're all people who have hopes and dreams, like myself, my mother, and my sister.
The speaker was interrupted repeatedly by the North Korean delegation. Among the human rights violations committed in the please, U.S. Please every day. shut the mic down since this is not an authorized presentation. The undiplomatic action prompted Samantha Power, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., to intervene. If we could ask the acoustic the people, act of racial please ensure that the microphone is not live. Thank you. The interruptions continued, prompting outrage from other attendees at the meeting. Uh, uh, how long is this speech going to go on? Because I will give you a chance to speak, but we, we have a proceeding to follow. The belligerence from the North Korean delegation continued. Ambassador Power again intervened. So we are calling UN security. Sir, you can either conclude your remarks or you will be removed from the room. That is an example of the extreme tension between North Korea and the rest of the world. Back to the Council on Foreign Relations event on September 16th. Another key participant in that release was retired Admiral Mike Mullen, former Joint Chiefs Chairman. When I retired in 2011, I felt then and I feel now that the Korean Peninsula is potentially as explosive a place as there exists in the world and that it can explode rapidly and dangerously and it needs to be addressed. Mullen agrees with none. The steps to deal with North Korea have to be taken all at once, and it has to have some key players involved. I think uh, in, in addition to sort of the simultaneity of all the steps, uh, we also tried to uh, lay out what we thought was, uh, you know, a sequence of events. Uh, and in particular, and it's, it's been mentioned that uh, it's really important for the U.S. and China to take the lead to solve this crisis. Uh, in my own personal experience, uh, historically involved in, in previous crises on the peninsula, uh, China has basically said that they have limits on what they can do, what they can actually get done in North Korea, how much they can control the leadership there, et cetera. And we just think it's an imperative uh, that they actually lead in this to open the door for a peaceful Solution. So that's, to me, that's a relatively early test of at least this strategy that we talk about, that it's got to go through China and it's got to go through China uh, as, uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, while all these other things uh, are, uh, are occurring, and in specifically, and Sam talked a little bit about the deterrence piece, strengthening the trilateral relationship uh, between the U.S., the, the uh, South Koreans, and the Japanese, getting to a point, and one of the things the report calls for is to look at the possibility an attack on one is an attack on all. That's much easier said than, than done. These are relationships that have also had their ups and downs. They're both incredibly important allies to the United States. Strengthening that, looking at conventional capabilities, whether it be anti-submarine warfare or cyber or uh, or special operations, strengthening that relationship between the three countries as well. But uh, and in addition, a very strong recommendation to deploy uh, this uh, THAAD, theater, uh, this missile defense system, which the United States and South Korea have agreed to as rapidly as possible to get to a point that uh, should uh, the North get, uh, get to a point where they are actually about to cross the threshold, uh, being able to target, being able to nuclearize, uh, uh, miniaturize and nuclearize a warhead that they could hit the United States uh, with, uh, we can't let them get to that point, so that any capability, any missile capability which support that 
we could actually shoot that down with systems like this, THAAD being one, uh, uh, to prevent that capability from, uh, f from uh, becoming real. And really in the sense that that's a self-defense capability as opposed to something that would be an attack capability. One of the key elements, as Mullen alluded to, is North Korea's ability to launch a missile that might be nuclear-tipped. I had the opportunity to ask him a question that seems to me is a key question, considering most people are waiting for North Korea to announce that it's developed some sort of nuclear weapon. But there's the test phase that has to be considered. There are those who think North Korea already has achieved a miniaturization of a weapon. And we see they continue to test delivery systems. And while the concern about the possibility of a deployment of a nuclear weapon on top of a, a missile at some point is a great concern, I, I wonder what your thoughts are about the test phase, which is if they do have a, uh, a miniaturized weapon, when they get to the point where they start testing, um, because that's a huge risk. Um, anything could go wrong, as with something that they've already tested and deployed later. But that's a lot closer to us now than them perfecting something and launching it later. So I wonder what the panel thinks about where we are now in that process and what your thoughts would be on uh, preparing for the possibility and perhaps some idea on what to do. Thank you. Thanks, JJ. I, actually, I, I've looked at uh, North Korea as almost not having a test phase. Uh, that, in in terms of the way they have developed their systems, typically is basically operationally, and they're very content with putting a system out there, f firing it, and having it fail, but learning each time. And you can see, just as we've observed, the progress that they've made. And I, and I would agree, although I don't know that certainly they're making progress with respect to miniaturization. Uh, miniaturization. Uh, the, the submarine launches recently are indicative of progress there as well. All of that is what greatly motivated the task force to, to uh, focus on the urgency with which this is required to be addressed and the likelihood in the very near future that, that he's going to have this capability and he won't go through a test phase. Uh, from my perspective, I would treat it all as operational right now. Uh, and be able to address it from a threat perspective uh, as, he, uh, uh, as he continues to, to go through these quote-unquote tests because they can be, they are, and they can be very, very threatening. You can read and listen to the full Council on Foreign Relations report at CFR.org. And the task force that put this report together feels as though as time passes, the threat will grow, and the next administration has a tall task to deal with getting the talks going immediately instead of waiting for the conditions to be met. Project Director Adam Mount. We agree that U.S. policy has not been clear enough on this front. Uh, and so when the next administration takes um, office, they should uh, do a top-to-bottom review of U.S. policy towards North Korea. That should include preconditions for negotiations. Uh, and they should be very clear with the North Koreans and with the Chinese and other members of the six-party talks um, precisely what we expect of them. Um, what we're prepared to offer and what we expect to get out of, out of these talks. After the event was over, I had the chance to sit down with a key player behind the scenes in the U.S. efforts to deal with North Korea's nuclear weapons and missile development programs. Joe Detrani was mission manager for a decade or more 
with the U.S. while in government, now retired, and the president of the Daniel Morgan Academy in Washington, he says time is running out. The key is we're at a tipping point with North Korea. North Korea is building a nuclear and missile capability that in the, in the short term, we're talking about a few years here, will become an existential nuclear threat to the United States. That's major. That is major. Over the last five years, during the leadership of Kim Jong-un, the missile launches, the nuclear tests, surpassed 18 years of his father. This, is, this, is, this man is moving forward in this area. And to sit here and not to say we have to do something more than what we're doing now, to view this as a, as a critical issue that requires immediate attention, we would be remiss. We would be remiss to the American people and to the defense of our, our country and certainly to our allies, South Korea and Japan. One of the things that came up, not necessarily on the agenda, but on the sidelines, I heard a lot of talk regarding regime change and, and, and that no one really wants regime change. But for some reason, the North Koreans think the regime is being threatened. How do you how do you get through to Kim Jong-un that no one wants to destroy your country? They just want you to stop threatening everyone else and come in line with the rest of the world. And actually, the rest of the world can help you. How do you, how do you get his attention and adjust his thinking? We've made it very clear often in our negotiations. Now, mind you, we have not had official negotiations with North Korea since 2008. But indeed, in the informal negotiations, and indeed, if we should have, as this council report is recommending, we should have exploratory negotiations with North Korea could be initially bilateral or they could be multilateral and then to determine if North Korea is willing to move into formal negotiations, which would mean they would have to halt their programs. I think North Korea has heard very consistently from the United States and others, but indeed from the United States, that the U.S. has no territorial ambitions in North Korea. We would provide security assurances to North Korea. That is not our intent. Regime change is not our intent. The intent here is to look at their nuclear program which is an existential threat to the region and eventually to the United States and to address that so that they move towards denuclearization, which is what his father and his grandfather committed to. And indeed, the 2005 Joint Statement speaks to comprehensive, verifiable denuclearization in return for security assurances, eventually a peace treaty and other deliverables. Ambassador, how close are we to having to take some kind of military action against North Korea because they've become increasingly aggressive and it's clear they're moving very close to developing nuclear weapons that are miniaturized. They've been working on testing delivery systems for a while. They're getting better and better at it. How far are we away from the point where uh, a military uh, intervention is, 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 is the only option? This would have to be the last option. This would have to be if nothing else works. And this is something that China and North Korea have to, has to understand very, very clearly, that if negotiations, resuming negotiations and moving towards a peaceful resolution to the issue, but to sit back and watch North Korea build this nuclear and missile capability that eventually will be an existential threat to the United States, our allies and partners in the region, and so forth, would, would be reckless on our part. So I think that the, 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 the military option, if you will, 
and that's in a defensive mode. Those, those missiles that could touch the United States and our allies are, would have to be addressed, and they could be addressed uh, while they're on the launch pad, they could be addressed once launched, and so forth. It speaks to missile defense, it speaks to other capabilities that would get us, uh, give us that military option if everything else fails. Ambassador Detrani says North Korea's conducted five nuclear tests. The likelihood they'll conduct another is pretty high, building significant capabilities, and all the while pursuing an aggressive missile program which can deliver those nuclear weapons. The U.S. is continuing efforts to get North Korea to the negotiating table. In the meantime, a source says, from North Korea's perspective, nothing is likely to change before a new presidential administration is in place. Coming up in our next episode. You have online um, ISIS recruiters that are spotting. Uh, they're, they're looking for people um, who have questions, who have expressed concerns about whether foreign policy or religious questions, and they're, then they're going after those individuals in a very targeted way. That's Seamus Hughes, a former U.S. government counterterrorism official who actually went out and looked for terrorists online to talk with them, to learn how they do what they do. You know, there's a, a couple handful of, of people that do this as a full-time job looking for um, young men and women uh, and trying to either direct them to attack the homeland or maybe travel to Syria, Iraq, and now increasingly Libya. That's coming up in our next episode. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. You know, if like the rest of the whole world, you're all caught up in the what the f*** did Donald tweet today game, good news. Podcast One's got a few shows that you need to download pronto. There's Breitbart's Milo Yiannopoulos. A weekly discussion of all things technology, media, video games, politics, internet culture, and of course, the dreaded social justice warriors. Former Clinton White House advisor Dick Morris. Hillary, I worked as her chief advisor for 20 years. I know her, and she should not be president. Weekly Standard editor Bill Kristol. We're fighting a war against radical Islam, but the president of the United States won't call it a war, and he won't mention radical Islam. And all the editors of The Standard get together to do a weekly confab. Welcome to The Confab. I'm Eric Felton. Download Milo, Dick, Bill, and The Confab today on the Podcast One app, or subscribe at podcastone.com.